Let not your hearts be troubled. That's how Jesus begins our gospel reading for this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. And inherent in that exhortation that we not let our hearts be troubled is the acknowledgement that often our hearts are troubled. The reason Jesus exhorts his disciples not to be troubled is because he knows that they actually are. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who can relate. Is there anyone here this morning with a, a troubled heart? Because of a challenge that you're facing in a relationship, or in your health, or in your work, or with your thoughts, and your desires, or whatever it might be. Is there anyone here this morning with a troubled heart? You know, to some degree, I think that we all know and experience this troubled reality. One of the ancient church fathers, Cyril of Alexandria, is quoted as saying, Have compassion on everyone you meet, for everyone is in a great struggle. Everyone, in some way and to some degree, is struggling with a a troubled heart. Which means that Jesus' exhortation to his disciples is applicable to us all. Now throughout this Easter season, we've been looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And we're considering what they tell us about who Jesus is and about what he is all about. And today we come to the sixth of these declarations where Jesus proclaims, I am the way and the truth. And the life. And so this morning we're going to consider how Jesus intends for that truth to be the healing tonic for our troubled hearts. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. As we consider how this word applies contextually here in John 14, cosmically throughout all of human history, and contemporarily, In our own hearts today. First, we're going to consider this particular context in in John chapter 14. In this passage, it, it takes place on the night before Jesus was crucified. As he was gathered with his disciples in the upper room, Jesus was celebrating the Passover with them. That they were fellowshipping over a meal and worshiping together. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet as an act of love and service towards them. He had given them a new commandment that they were to love one another as he had loved them. It had been a sweet time of communion together. But then at the end of dinner, Jesus shared some disturbing realities with his disciples. In John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30, Jesus told them that someone was going to betray him. Then later in verses 31 to 35, Jesus told them that he would no longer be with them, or he would not be with them much longer. And that uh, where he was going, they could not follow. Then finally in verses 36 to 38, Jesus told Peter that later that night, Peter would deny him on three separate occasions. And so after this rich evening of feasting and fellowshipping together... 
Jesus told the disciples that they were going to betray him and that they were going to deny him and that they would no longer be able to be in his presence. And all of that was the unsettling news which led Jesus in chapter 14, verse 1, to exhort them to not let their hearts be troubled. Because these ideas of betrayal and denial and separation from their Lord were causing trouble in their hearts. That combination of experiences has always caused trouble for our hearts. Because when we take a a step back from this particular context and look at, at a cosmic perspective, isn't this in a way the story of every human being? I mean, think about it. In the first three chapters of Genesis, which describes the origin of humanity and of our relationship with God. But what we see is that in the beginning, mankind dwelt in and enjoyed perfect communion with our creator. The Lord God cared for Adam and Eve and gave to them all that they needed for their flourishing. They served together in in the stewarding and sustaining of creation. They enjoyed face-to-face fellowship, walking and talking in the garden in the cool of the day. They delighted in paradise together, and it was all very good. There was no need, there was no need, there was no fear, no worry, no sickness, no death, no lack of love, no insecurity, no scarcity. Everything was perfect. There was no reason for a heart to ever be troubled. But eventually, there was a betrayal of God. And there was a denial of the goodness of His ways. Which led to Adam and Eve being separated from the presence of God. First hiding from Him in the garden, and then eventually being removed from the Garden of Eden, and hence from the presence of God altogether. The betrayal of God and the rejection of God led to their separation from God. And paradise was lost. In the aftermath of their betrayal and denial and their separation from God, Adam and Eve's hearts were troubled. And though many millennia have passed since that terrible day, isn't this still ultimately the source of our troubled hearts as well? Sin has become so ubiquitous in the world and and there's been so much betraying and so much denying of God and of his ways that we can no longer directly tie the challenges that we face in our lives to the sins that we've committed. The the world doesn't work that way anymore. There's too much betrayal and too much denial of God to make those direct connections any longer. The world is simply fallen and, and humanity is simply broken It and we don't work the way that it was intended and created to work. But our collective sin and the separation that it creates between us and God remains the source of our troubled hearts. The sickness we experience in our bodies, the divisiveness we experience in our relationships, the worry and the fear and the anxiety that we experience in our inner beings But before sin entered into the world, these weren't issues. Since sin has entered into the world, they've always been with us. It's all ultimately related to the reality that because of our sin, we no longer have access to the perfect presence of our perfect God. 
It says the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you. Our betrayals of God and our denials of God have created a distance from God, which causes our hearts to be troubled. It was the case in the beginning. It was the case with the disciples. It's the case today. And so if our separation from God is the ultimate source of our troubled hearts, then it only makes sense that the remedy to our troubled hearts would be to return to the presence of the Lord. And isn't this what the scriptures tell us? That in the presence of God is everything that we could ever want or need. I mean, consider Psalm 1611, in which the psalmist declares unto God, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or Psalm 84, where the psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They go from strength to strength. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Or then there's the Apostle Paul who was, who's actually given a vision of heaven, which he said was too glorious to be told. But he simply described it as paradise. What the scriptures affirm over and over and over again is that in the presence of God, we find everything that we could ever need. Perfect pleasure, perfect peace, perfect protection, perfect power, perfect provision. Everything that we need is found there. Which means that being in the presence of God is the remedy for our troubled hearts. So the obvious question becomes, how then do we get back into God's presence? Right? If we know our problem... Our sin that separates us from God. And, and we know what the solution is to return into the presence of God. And, and the only question that matters is how do we get there? And this is where our problem lies. Because from the very beginning of human history, up to, in many ways, the present day, mankind has struggled to find their way back into the presence of God. In the aftermath of Adam and Eve's betrayal and denial, in an act of both judgment and mercy, God placed an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance to the Garden of Eden to guard the way back in, preventing Adam and Eve or anyone else from returning to the tree of life and to the unfettered access of God's holy presence. Initially, there was no way back. Later, when God established a people for himself, even then, as we read in our Old Testament reading from Exodus, that there, there was a barrier that always existed between God's presence and God's people. God's presence was with them in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, but he was separated from them by the veil which divided the holy place from the most holy place. And so through sacrifice, the priests could come near to God, but not fully into his presence. 
In fact, the only true access that the Israelites had to God happened only once a year and only on the Day of Atonement, where only one person, the high priest, could enter into the most holy place and encounter God's presence. And he did so in fear and in trembling by bringing the blood of a sacrificial offering to atone for his sin and for the sins of God's people. So for Adam and Eve, there was no way back into God's presence. And throughout the history of Israel, the the way to access God's presence was extremely limited and had to be mediated by a high priest. And even today, with the Garden of Eden long lost and the sacrificial system of Israel long past, even still, access to God's presence can feel Quite elusive, can't it? You often hear people jokingly say things like, if I stepped into a church, I might be struck by lightning. And that may be a joke when people say it, but it has substance behind it. Because to many people, God still seems unsafe to approach. To others who want to draw near to God and who feel safe to draw near to God, His presence can still seem elusive. We can cry out to God, but He doesn't seem to answer. We can search for God, but He can seem distant or far off. Does God ever feel that way to you? In your moments of need, when your heart is troubled, does it ever seem like God remains inaccessible. We know what the remedy is for everything that troubles our hearts. What we need is the presence of God to come and bear on our lives. We just don't always or maybe ever know the way to access God's presence. And this is why Jesus' sixth I am statement is so profound. Because what Jesus says in John chapter 14 to the troubled hearts of his troubled disciples is that he is going back to his father and into his father's house to prepare a place for them. And then Jesus promised his disciples that if he goes to prepare a place for them, then he would return and take them to himself. So that where he is, they might also be. Jesus tells them that the reason he is going away is to provide for them the very thing that their troubled hearts most need. So that they can once again dwell in the presence of God. And then in what almost seems like a setup, Jesus tells the disciples, you know the way to where I'm going. (laughs) But of course, they didn't know the way back into their father's presence or else they would have already gone there. And so Thomas speaks for every troubled human heart when he replies, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? To which Jesus declares, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus said that he is our way back into the presence of the Father. And the good news of the gospel is that just a few hours later, 
Jesus showed them the way. And He opened the way when He was crucified upon the cross. And the reason that Jesus' death upon the cross opened the way to the Father is because upon the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sin. He died for all of our betrayals of God and for all of our denials of God that led to us being separated from God. And upon the cross, He was separated from His Father so that we would no longer have to be. And unlike Adam and Eve, who couldn't face the judgment of God to find their way back to the tree of life, Jesus endured the judgment of God on our behalf in order to grant us access to eternal life once again. And unlike the high priests of Israel, who had to come before God year after year through the offerings of bulls and goats, which could never take away sins, Jesus, through his own body, offered a single sacrifice once for all time, which actually removed the guilt of our sin. And we know that the sacrifice was successful in doing that. Because in the moment that Jesus died, that curtain that was in the temple, which for thousands of years had represented the barrier which stood between God and us because of our sin, in that moment when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The barrier that separated God and man was now gone. And church, this is the reason that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And why no one comes to the Father except through Him. Because He, Jesus, His life and His death and His resurrection is the only true way through our sin and the barriers that it had created with God, back to the life that we were always created to live in the presence of God. According to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, this is the very purpose of our salvation. Peter writes that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And this is the effect that his death can have on our lives. He brings us back into the presence of God. We heard it in our New Testament reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. That because of the forgiveness that we have for our sins as the result of his sacrifice, we now have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we can now draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We can now once again draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find the grace to help us in our times of need. There is no more flaming sword keeping us from life with God. There is no more temple curtain and required sacrifice keeping us from the presence of God. Jesus has gotten rid of it all. He's opened up a new and living way by which we, in the Spirit, through the Son, have full and unfettered access to God, our Father. 
The very thing that our troubled hearts most need. Now, some of you may say that's great. And I know that. And yet still, when I cry out to God, I feel distant from Him. Still, when I seek for God, I can't find Him. I want to close this morning by addressing that particular dynamic. Because I think that's where this most hits us as Christians today. In John chapter 14, when Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled. He then gave a second command. He said, believe in God. Believe also in me. And so what Jesus is saying here is, let not your hearts be troubled, because I am going to prepare a place for you with my Father. I'm going to come back to take you to be with me so that you may be there also. That's the remedy to our troubled hearts. Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled, because this is what I'm going to do. Believe in this. Believe in God. Believe in me also. And so church, this morning I just want to ask the question, do you believe that this is true? You know, throughout history, the way that the people of God have experienced the promises and the blessings of God is by believing that they are true. We experience them after we believe them, never beforehand. Throughout the Old Testament, the the, the people of God believed in the promises of what God would do for them. During the time of Christ, the disciples believed in what Christ was doing for them. Now, in the aftermath of the cross, we look back and believe in what has been done for us. And that's how we experience the blessings and the promises of God. And so church, the, the question is, do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that God has, Christ has gone before to prepare a place for you? Do you believe that He is currently seated at the right hand of God the Father? Do you believe that by the Spirit we have been raised with Him and are seated with Him in the heavenly places? Do you believe that we can come with boldness and with confidence to the throne of grace? To find mercy, to find grace, to help us in our times of need. We're called to live by faith and not by sight. Sometimes it feels, it seems, it looks like God is far off, like he's hard to find. But that is not what we have been told. That is not what we have been promised. That is not what has been done for us through Christ. He has gone to Bring us back to the Father. And the profound reality of that is what it means is that when we face whatever it is that we face, when our hearts are troubled, we can cry out to God. And despite what it may feel, the promise and the reality is, is that we are with Him in that moment. We are with God, the creator of the universe who loves you and who has power over all things. And we can plead to Him and share our heart with Him and ask for the things that we need. And we can know that He will give us 
what we need. Church, Jesus proclaims that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but through him. The good news of the gospel is that through him, we can come back to the presence of our Father. And so let us do so in all assurance and in all faith for God's glory and for our good.